So happy day after primary election. I hope all of you voted. And if by chance you didn't, please let us know what we can do to facilitate that for the next election. Um, we had people available to help give rides to the polls and to help do early uh, voting and to absentee voting. And so there are lots of things we can do if there's any reason that you won't be able to participate. For the runoffs, um, they will without a doubt have far-reaching impact on all the issues we care about in the world around us. The welfare of the less privileged, those younger and older, our children, grandchildren, and parents, those who are female, those who are LGBT, those who are infirmed, unemployed, underemployed, undereducated, underinsured, the earth, the water, the air, those who value separation of church and state, the right to believe as compelled by the spirit of truth within oneself. In what we loosely call the liturgical year of our church, uh, we are still in the season of the citizen in which as our young bearers of light and tradition uh, acknowledged this morning, we honor our fifth principle, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and society at large. We live in a fascinating place. with dear people, good food, good music, good times, and good grief. <laughs> we live in a state that has a hard time recognizing its orientation toward white privilege, male privilege, Christian privilege, or financial privilege. We live in a state that seems too often to operate in support of the theory that the ends justify the means. I personally think that equates in a lot of ways with the inherently disrespectful exclusivism of seeking forgiveness rather than permission. Because that encourages people who prefer to approach things by how they see fit. It assumes that the rules don't apply to them. And if we cultivate that attitude, nobody has any respect for anybody else's rights. It's an extrapolation of something I think many of us here are quite guilty of. We've been, good, we've been well schooled in the idea of civil disobedience, of standing up for things that we see that are wrong, but when we're just lazy and go around them because it's inconvenient or we think somebody might not agree with us, we're actually proliferating 
the disrespect that we want other people to get over. That's not where, even where I wanted to go today. <laughs> we live in a state that has a hard time moving past a sense of entitlement. And at the same time is full of people whose whole approach and outlook is a response to fear. That someone else is going to take away what's mine or get ahead of me or change something that I'm accustomed to and comfortable with. We live in a state that has, in so many ways, never matured past children on the playground behavior in which the players seem to think, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't much care whether that hurts you or not. I am grateful that that's not all playground behavior. There are great kids in this world. And often they uh, act out what they've seen demonstrated. For progressives or liberals in the South, elections are challenging. Some more than others, true. Still, maintaining the commitment to show up every single time and exercise your right to vote, continuing to believe in the power and value of your individual voice can be difficult. One can get weary and perhaps sometimes feel frustrated or hopeless or even become, God forbid, apathetic. Every time I go to the polls, I look around and try to guess what the ratios may play out to be based on who I see showing up. Um, what kind of folks are showing up and, to, and who might seem to support the opinions I hold dear in their button-pushing and lever-switching. Um, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon to me that when we go to another city in this country for General Assembly, generally when you get off the plane at the airport, you can look around you, and I mentioned this, I think, right after General Assembly this year, you can look around and identify the Unitarians. I mean, there's just a look that we have that, that um, and then this year, General Assembly was in Portland, and everybody there looked like Unitarians. <laughs> so the people that didn't look like Unitarians were out-of-towners. It was a little confusing, but, but if I see a person um, that I actually know at the polls and can kind of guess or estimate that they probably share my slant on topics, I begin to extrapolate that into projecting a sweeping victory <laughs> for all of the candidates and issues that I care about. And I can generally carry that positive attitude, at least to some extent, until after we get past 50% of the precincts, you know, reporting, and maybe well beyond that, if, if, 
everybody in that precinct voted the way I wanted them to, we could still win, you know. Frankly, the occasions when my candidates or issues or, uh, or positions of choice win are greatly outnumbered by the times they don't here in this area. But all of that makes my vote all the more significant. My vote is there to be the rock and the shoe of the people that would run away with things that are important to me. I am there to remind them they can't get away with completely ignoring folks and views different than their own because we exist and we have rights. I think in a whole lot of ways, Unitarian Universalism is that same sort of governor or regulating vehicle for the religious world. We're the prophetic voice crying out in the wilderness. That's from Isaiah. Uh, preparing the way, which is in John. Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew Testament, Christian Testament. Um, we may be as ill-received as prophets in their own land. Both Testaments again. And still, the prophetic voice proves in time to be the shaper of the future. And a necessary compass that cannot ultimately be denied. Too many voices are telling people they're no good. that they're broken, that we're broken and can never make up for that or ever be good enough. The world of media and advertising plays on our every impulse and anxiety, showing us what we could be, what we ought to be, what we're not yet, what someone else is, has, does, and what we ought to desire to duplicate from a book by Unitarian uh, chaplain for the Maine Forestry or Wildlife Service. Her name is Kate Braystrup. I read this. A marvelous but extremely intrusive mass media relentlessly encourages us to respond to every impulse with a shopping spree, translating even our deepest values into a reason to purchase. When I resolve, or re-resolve, rather, to start exercising regularly, my first impulse is not to drop to the floor and do some push-ups. Instead, I spend an hour online shopping for a new sports bra. <laughs> that particular response may not be one to which you relate personally. But the being masterfully manipulated by those who would underscore our shortcomings is one idea for which I find us a necessary countervailing factor. In our own sometimes countercultural way, 
we would defy the need to first feel bad about ourselves before we're willing and able to move toward more light and awareness we must first feel bad or, or to think that we must first feel bad about ourselves before we could see benefit in growing better spiritually or intellectually or even regarding fitness the majority of mainstream religious doctrines in western culture would support the view that we're not good enough, that we're broken, that we cannot in and of ourselves find a way. There's a movie that I'm quite fond of, um, an old movie, uh, Franco Zeffirelli film, Zeffirelli film, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. In it, Donovan has all this music, and if you're old enough to know who Donovan is, Maybe you're old enough to have seen this film. The The name of it's Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, and it's about the life of St. Francis of Assisi. In this film, Zeffirelli has Pope Innocent saying, in our preoccupation with original sin, we have forgotten original innocence. I spend a lot of time in the community trying to help people understand that there is within them a place that has never been wounded, has never been broken, and is always whole, that they're never beyond redemption, that they're never beyond love, and that they're never beyond worth. And we're seeing trends with a considerable number of Protestant congregations away from that heavy focus on original sin and towards the focus on love and reconciliation. I think we have served as the finger pointing at the moon for this. And I think we continue to serve as the finger pointing at the moon for this. And if you're not familiar with that reference, um, it's a Buddhist teaching, and I'll read this Osho, Osho quote to kind of explain it a little bit. Always remember truth cannot be said, it can be shown. It's a finger pointing to the moon. All the words are just the fingers pointing to the moon. But don't accept the fingers as the moon. The moment you start clinging to the fingers, that's where doctrines, cults, creeds, dogmas are born. Then you've missed the whole point. The fingers were not the point. We are not the point. The point was the moon. The point is our dream. And we do this because we know the difference is important. It's where opportunity and hope for so many things in our culture and time rest. The difference is one of respect for others, 
appreciation for the discoveries continuing to be made about our own natures and about the nature of what's all that's around us. The difference is one of optimism toward ultimate outcomes without fear of retribution or the shame of some inborn state from which we can never escape. We understand that others have not necessarily come to the point that we have to understand these things. that we might even hold to be self-evident. So we wait here for that proverbial every man. And we do all of this to continue to be the finger pointing at the moon. I believe it is a noble why. We live our truth to serve as the fingers pointing at the moon of justice, of love, of compassion, of a world that's whole. And perhaps we even along the way discover that wholeness. I'm here, we are here to say, you are enough. You are enough. And all those things we might buy to carry us towards being better are one more thing that remove us from our recognizing in this moment in ourselves that we are enough. Every person has value, our first principle, that cannot be taken away from them. We will share this foundation of loving respect as we continue to look for ways of gathering and generating more love, justice, and compassion, and hope in this world, our home.